My name is Devana Brazier, and I would like to welcome you this morning along with Steve and with Brian. Um, let us open God's word together. This is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and also chapter 3, 17 through 19. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And then chapter 3, 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. And I join all the many people who have already said good morning. I'm Bart, uh, the pastor here. And um, kids, especially... Uh, welcome. If, if you're new as a family to our church, one of the things we've been doing is uh, made first Sundays family Sundays, which means our kindergartners and up are with us in the worship service. So parents, hang in there. You're going to make it. I promise you that your kids will look back on these experiences being in a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church and will draw deeply from uh, these experiences uh, in their faith as they mature along the way. And kids, uh, you found in your goodie bag a door hanger as well as a connect coin. So if you take that coin to the connect table after the service today, you get a special treat. So don't forget to do that. But also, as I'm talking and getting a little bit boring for you maybe, I would love for you to draw on the front of your door hanger uh, a picture of what you want to be when you grow up. Don't draw anything on the back because later I'm going to tell you a word I want you to draw back there. But what do you want to be when you grow up? You can draw a picture of that. And here's a pro tip for you. Uh, you should want to be a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon because there's only one put down left for you. Because if you're a rocket scientist, only someone can say, well, it's not brain surgery. But if you're a brain surgeon, then only someone can say, well, it's not rocket science. So you should pick one of those two, all right? And then we'll talk about that later. Um, we have been in this series exploring these foundational texts, talking about foundational relationships in our life. We talked about relationship with the world and with God, with one another, with evil. Uh, last week, we talked about our relationship to rest. And then this week, we turned our attention to our relationship with work. And here is the big idea this morning. It's simple. Two statements. Uh, you matter to God and your work matters to God. Uh, the first one is about who you are and the second one is about what you do. So let's look at the first one. You matter to God. Uh, who am I? 
Well, today it seems like we have a couple options. We're either nothing more than dirt or nothing less than deity. We are either lucky mud or some sort of diva, right? Now, parents, you see this because all the way from kindergarten on, um, our children are learning that they're nothing more than ooze oozing from ooze. All they are is dust in the wind, as the song goes, coupled with be whoever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. And we can make believe that there's some coherence there, but if I could speak the quiet part out loud for just a second. If there is no God, then any sense of meaning, purpose, significance, joy, you must make for yourself, which is, dare I say it, exhausting. Bertrand Russell, who was known as as probably the foremost atheist of the 20th century, in 1903, he wrote these chilling words. He says, man is the product of causes that had no prevision of the end they were achieving. His origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. There is no fire No heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling that can preserve individual life beyond the grave. All the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. Now get out there and change the world! (laughs) You know, as a minister, I've sat with dying people, I've held people as they've died. I've presided over funerals of Christians and of those who aren't Christian that profess no faith. And not a one of them embraces this chilling despair that Russell summons. Instead, even secular memorial services are often constructed with a borrowed faith or uh, smuggled in beliefs. So you'll hear things like, she'll be remembered forever or we will see him again, or she's smiling down on all of us, or he is in a deeper or a happier place. And I suppose I could get perturbed with people who are living inconsistently or incoherently, but I'd rather suggest what our borrowed beliefs point to is that we are made in the image of God. We have worth. We have dignity. We're not just matter taking up space, but we matter to someone, namely to God. That's what verse 127 is all about. So what does that mean, being made in the image of God? Well, does that mean uh, that we have cognitive ability or moral capacity, that we have rationality, that we have a conscience? Yes, I think it absolutely means those things, but I think it means even more. It speaks to who we are, namely whose we are. And there are a couple contextual clues here. If we back up and read the poetry of Genesis 1 again, you're going to find seven times, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be light, let there be dark, let there be the sun, let there be the moon. But then when we move to verses 27 and 28 at the end of chapter 1, the refrain shifts from let there be to let us make. There's this divine intent that's announced ahead of time. This royal court, this divine council has created humankind with purpose. We have origin. We will have destiny. 
And then we learn from the text that God takes special relational care with us because in the first chapter, the refrain was, and so it was, and so it was, and so it was, and so it was the first day, so it was the second day, so it was the third day. But then in verse 27 and 28, there's this hard stop because a conversation begins between creator and creature that goes like this, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. It's the suggestion that the fullest version of our humanness is to be enthralled in a personal relationship with God. Kids, dial back in for a second. If your parents have not read The Velveteen Rabbit, they should. It's an amazing story, and there's this wonderful little conversation that happens in the book, and I want to read just a portion of it. Uh, the Velveteen Rabbit turns to the old, wise, experienced skin horse in the nursery and asks, what is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? But the skin horse replies, real isn't how you are made. It's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you. Then you become real. You know, the best stories are built from the truest story of the whole world. The Velveteen Rabbit becomes real, becomes alive through relationship because we do. That's verses 2, or chapter 2, verses 7 that Devana read. The Lord God formed us from the dust and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became living beings. But we've said every week that though we're designed for a Genesis 1 and 2 world, we show up, we're born into this broken Genesis 3 world and what was the breach that caused this great chasm between Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3? It's broken relationships. It's as if God breathed in us this capacity to breathe on our own so long as we're connected in relationship to him. But once we severed that relationship, we just don't work right anymore. We gasp for air and the best we can do is find a snorkel here and there and just take a breath the best we're able. A few years ago, I solicited help from a friend of mine, a good friend who wasn't Christian, because I didn't want to preach boring sermons. So I said, would you listen to several of my sermons and, and help me not preach boring sermons? So he did, and we got together for coffee. And he said, um, does every sermon have to be about Jesus? Why does Jesus, the hero, like swoop in at the end of the sermon and rescue us? It's so predictable. Well, Jesus is, is swooping in even earlier today. Because there are two things Christians believe, a lot of things we believe about Jesus, but two things that are held in deep mystery. One of them is that Jesus is fully God. So when the angels show up and people start worshiping them in Scripture, what do the angels do? No, 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 stop it. Don't worship me. But when Jesus shows up and people are worshiping him, what does Jesus do? Yes, bring it. This is right. But the second thing is that Jesus became fully human. And lived a beautiful life, what theologians call a righteous life. He lived as every image should live. He reflected God perfectly, beautifully. 
It's what Paul describes in his letter to the church at Philippi in chapter 2. It's been called uh, the very first Christian hymn. He writes, your, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Unlike Adam and Eve and you and me who are grasping for equality to become gods ourselves, Jesus, who was, didn't. And he became fully obedient, Paul wrote, even to death on a cross so that God would give him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, uh, every tongue would confess on heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Think about that. Paul would go on to say uh, to the church in Rome that uh, if we are saved through Jesus' death, how much more might we be saved through his life? If you've never experienced that, that is the Holy Spirit breathing life into you again, allowing you to become fully human again. Why? Because You matter to God. But also, your work matters to God. God cares about who you are and God cares about what you do. Did you see what happens in chapter 2, verse 5? Why does your work matter to God? Well, your work matters to God because someone has to do it, firstly. 2, verse 5, no shrub had appeared, no plant had sprung up, And there was no one to work the ground. So there's work to do. I mean, we could see this as the beauty of God's restraint. God could have gone, shazam, cauliflower. Shazam, coffee. But instead, God created so you and me could cultivate. Uh, My youngest daughter once asked the question, "Uh, Dad, how does dirt become roads? How do trees become houses? Well, we build them, we construct them. You know, in the early days, you would bring uh, the grain of the field and the fruit of the vine to your God. That was what you would bring as an offering. Well, now what do we do? Our God comes to us as bread and as wine. The grains and the grapes that he created, we have cultivated. Miroslav Volf, who uh, works at the Yale Center for Faith and Work, he, he says it this way. He says, our work is rearranging the raw material of a particular domain for the flourishing of everyone. So what does that look like really practically? Well, we sang music this morning. So what did these musicians do? They took the raw materials of sound and they reformatted them so we could hear it in a way that would bring deep meaning into our lives. What does it mean for an architect? Well, we take the raw materials of stone and ore and we form it into the bridges that these architects design so that humans can interact with one another and society can be built. Or if you're an investment banker, you take an unfulfilled need over there. You leverage resources from over here. You produce a product. You create jobs. Or you're a stay-at-home parent, which is a ton of work. You take this little being that sucks and burps and poops and sleeps and you painstakingly cultivate them into one who crawls and runs and gives and serves. Or if you're in our midst and you're retired and maybe you feel like you've lost some of your verve and you're losing your health, it's dissipating. My, my mom said to me 
uh, uh, two, three years ago now, I feel like as I get older, life is getting smaller. And there's a sense in which that's true, and we should name that. But there's also a sense in which the Christian life is getting bigger and larger because you're preparing yourself more and more for a life that lasts forever. And the work you're doing right now is you're cultivating relationships with more time and more wisdom and more resources perhaps than you've ever had before. And you're living into that promise that in Jesus nothing is wasted really and everything matters. So let me get really practical as we conclude because I want what I say on Sunday to matter to you on Monday through Saturday. So as we conclude, I want to just quickly ask and answer, and these are conversation starters, so we'll only begin to scratch the surface here, but four questions that everyone should ask about their work. And here they are. One, does my work begin with rest? Two, do I receive my work as a vocation? Three, where are the redemptive edges of my work? And four, how does my work serve people? So I want to just take each one for just a second. One, does my work begin with rest? Well, if you were here last week, we talked about rest. If you weren't here, please go back and listen to that message because we said that Christ's magnum opus, Christ's great work, shifted our Sabbath from the end of the week to the beginning of the week. In other words, today as Christians, we don't work for rest. We don't have a weekend. We work from rest. Our identity rests in God, and we cultivate that rest in us as the Holy Spirit pushes out restlessness so that we can then turn the page and begin the work week. Nothing I could say today about work will root into the soil of your heart and germinate if you're not becoming more and more committed to Sabbath rest. Why? Because otherwise you're going to put all your worth in your work and you're going to put your weight on your work. And what that means is it will end up putting its weight on you. It's the Faustian bargain. It's the deal with the devil. You make a deal with work and what does work take from you if you worship it? Your family, your friends, your health. So you have to ask the question, does my work begin with rest in God? Secondly, do I receive work as a vocation? That's what 128 is all about. It's a benediction, really. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. And that is not a bad word that talks about abusing nature or anything like that. It's actually doing what God does. And what does God do? God, we see here, is a gardener, a potter, an architect, a builder. God is tending and caring and shaping. So vocation from the root vocare is a calling. We're called to do what God does. So often our career becomes what we call an occupation. Occupare, which means to seize or to fill up. Which suggests to me there there are two different errors uh, that kind of seed into our work. One of them is, well, it's just a job. I'm going to fill up my time to get a paycheck, to generate some savings, to take a vacation. Or it seizes us as a job. It consumes us and thereby it controls us. And this is not me preaching like the DYWL, the do what you love model that's been out there for 
15, 20 years. If you can do that, awesome. Not all of us are able to do it, which is what this curse is all about in Genesis 2 that we just heard about. Right? It will produce thorns and thistles because work is hard. But what I am suggesting here is that if you receive your job, your career, your occupation as a vocation, as a calling, then whatever you do, big or small, is dignified. It's given worth because it's God at work through you. Third question, where are the redemptive edges of my work? You know, underneath this word redemption is the belief that a beautiful world that became broken is being made beautiful again. So yes, the work is hard, and you work by, as it says here, the sweat of your brow. It is tedious at times. It is boring at times. But we should always be asking, where are the redemptive edges of my work? Where can brokenness get reverse engineered and transformed into beauty? And again, I'm seeding a conversation. So if you're in your 20s, you're just starting out. Or if you're in your 30s and 40s and you're making your mark. Or if you're in your 50s and 60s and you're surveying your life's work, Uh, We only have time for one example today of finding a redemptive edge in work, and I would call it cradle-to-cradle certification. What in the world does that mean? It's actually a thing, but if you get that work certified, if the the product uh, brings health or the material is reutilized or renewable energy is involved or stewardship of water is involved or social responsibility happens, some of you are in places to actually seed those things into a product that will last from cradle to cradle, from this life to the next life. The juxtaposition is what we call in our day planned obsolescence. I have 137, 137 cords that no longer work from Apple because they build their product that way. And I'll need another one in two years. The shakers built their furniture. This is what they stamped on it. Let us build this to last forever. Now their um, strategy for producing limited edition models was celibacy. So I don't know what we would say about that. They only lasted one generation. but, But their products lasted from cradle to cradle to the next generation. So where are the redemptive edges in my work? How am I building and producing something that has lasting power? And then lastly, as we come to this table, how does my work serve people? At the end of the day, whatever you do, your work is about people. So kids, I told you that you're going to write a word on the back of your door hanger. So I'll I'll let you be brave for a second. What did you draw on the front? What do you want to be when you grow up? Shout it out, kids. Anybody? Me? That's a good one. Yeah. I always hear things like firefighter brain surgeon, chef, ballerina, teacher. Now they're coming. Any more? Another ballerina. A ninja. All right. So on the back of your door hanger, you should write the word serve. Because whatever you do, whether you're flipping hamburgers or changing diapers, doing taxes, selling software, creating products, at the end of the day, your vocation, what you do is about serving people. Otherwise, they're just stakeholders or investors or clients or consumers or employees or vendors. They stop being 
people. But God calls us to serve with our work. Each of us should look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. For your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant and being found in the appearance and likeness of a man He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on a cross, that the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the praise and glory of God. Amen.